HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Fairway Market, like no other market, a New York City institution that sells the best local, national, and international artisan foods for prices that can't be beat. For more information, visit fairwaymarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Is the speakeasy with Damon Bolte? Welcome back to the speakeasy. I'm your host, Damon Bolte. Jack caught me in the studio with my guitar and he forced me to play. <laughs> and what a nice day to be in the studio playing guitar. It's sunshiny here in Brooklyn. It's got me thinking a lot about the spring coming up and the summer. And a chance to get to hang out with my good buddy Nick Jarrett who moved to New Orleans this winter. And uh, yeah, can't wait to see him. But right now we're going to check in with him and see what he's been up to. Welcome back to the show, Nick. What's up, Damon? How you doing today? I'm doing well, man. Just sitting here drinking a beer, ready to talk shop with you, man. How you been? I'm doing all right, man. Doing all right. Just had a bunch of folks down from Brooklyn the past couple of days, was showing them the uh, New Orleans experience. Awesome. The weather down here is about you know 75. Palm trees are all beautiful. So uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. In that's... that regard, it does not suck. It does Absolutely. Not suck. Absolutely. Um, so you moved down in what November or October? I actually moved down right. With Tales of the Cocktail. Oh, that's right. Right, right. So, I remember that. Then since July at this point, I mean, I figured, you know, kill two birds with one soon. I, it seems uh, seems like it wasn't that long ago, actually, but I guess it has been uh, the summertime. I've, time flies, right? How time flies. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what were some of your reasons for moving to uh, New Orleans from New York? Well, don't get me wrong. I love Brooklyn and I love New York, and it's quite possible that I'll end up back there. But uh, you know, I figured I wanted to put in another year in a different city. And New Orleans has always struck me as a fascinating city as far as both musical culture, drinking culture, just really unique in the U.S. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, putting a little time in, like enjoying it. It's a, it's a wild ride. It's a wild ride. Actually, it's one of the more influential cities for classic cocktails, as it were. Massively. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it was always the harbor towns. Like, 
New York, of course, had a massive impact, but the Port of New Orleans is at this point the biggest in the country. You still have sort of a residual accent down here that's called the Yat accent, which is almost identical to, like, you know, Boston, New York, New Jersey, same kind of Irish-Italian, like, background. So early on, it was a melting pot, and uh, they, they drank heavily from day one. <laughs> well, you haven't quite uh, quite gotten that accent yet, and uh, I, no. I was, I was kind of hoping I would hear a little bit of that coming through, but it, I guess it hasn't been long enough. No, no, no. I doubt, you know, I'm too old to teach this dog that new trick. <laughs> but, I, yeah, no, massively influential down here as far as cocktails go. Obviously, you have the Sazerac. I'd walk by the uh, strange cafe where that was invented almost every day. So, you know, there's quite a bit of drinking history down here. Yeah. So where are you working these days? I'm currently uh, spending my time uh, uptown at Cure, a uh, cocktail bar run by Neil Bonheimer and Kirk Estoppinol. Uh, that one's up for uh, the James Beard shortlist this year. Oh, I'm sorry, the James Beard nominees. Congrats. And then, yeah, so this is fine. And then another little bar called The Same, uh, which is kind of a grimier metal dive bar, dance venue, show place. You know, keep my highs and my lows, right? Highs and lows. That's awesome. Yeah, you got to have the balance in life. <laughs> I do remember the last time uh, I was at The Saints, it I mean, I can barely remember it, but I do remember being there, and it was exactly as you put it. Kind of grimy rock and roll place. I remember uh, I it was, <laughs> it was uh, you know, for Tales of the Cocktail, and I remember being in the kind of like backyard patio area, and the place was packed. I believe it was a slow and low party. Um, slow and low party. That yeah, was a disaster, wasn't it? <laughs> it was so... Finest kind. Yeah. It was so fucking hot, and there were these giant tubs of ice... Uh, iced down beer, and I just remember everyone like at one point not even caring about their beer anymore, just like shoving their arms and heads into the big ice bin to cool down. I was one of them. I might have started that actually. I don't know. Probably not though. It sounds uh, it sounds like par for course there. I mean, uh, it's a well regarded bar. It's got an interesting background. I mean, it's been operating as a liquor license since you know time immemorial, more or less. Dark period in the seventies and eighties when the neighborhood was a little bit more dangerous. But uh, we have a lot of shows. Quentin Tarantino is a huge fan of the bar. He's quite the regular there while he was filming uh, Sango Unchained down here. He's in that every day. Um, it's, it's interesting. And then, you know, Cure on the High End is a great cocktail program with a very unique program. I mean, you know, people like us, we see a lot of recipes from a lot of different bars. Mm-hmm. You, can, uh, you can recognize a Cure recipe by, uh, you know, elements in his design. Proportionate breakdown and build, and and what are no, some of those? Unique bar. What are some of those? Uh, some of the like you said, like the proportion and the uh, the recipe breakdown. What makes that unique to some of the other uh, bars around? Well, I'm sure you're familiar with uh, Beta and Rogue cocktails. Those two recipe books that came out a number of years back from mm-hmm. Maxim Zuniak and Kirk Estopinol. Mm-hmm. So the house has a certain style. It's a lot more emphasis on salt. Aggressive use of bitters, um, different forms of citrus handling as well. A lot of seasoning and preparing glasses, or using multiple twists to get additional citrus oil on. Like so, the- you know, little little touchstones. Essentially, it's essentially the basic spec build. It's based on like the uh, Violet Hour milk and honey tradition, but deviated quite a bit when it opened up down here. And when you say uh, multiple uh, citrus peel, do you mean like actual like different? like multiple types of citrus that you're using as the garnish or like using more than one or like a bigger peel? 
Differing amounts, differing amounts and different types. So layered aromatic builds, in some cases uh, going for more oil than you would get from any one or a layer of different uh, options, which is, I mean, it's, it's around and about, but there's more, there's more use of it down here, I would say. Yeah. I've always been a, fa- a big fan of, you know, using like a horse's neck peel, you know, like a longer sure. peel so you can get more oil. And, you know, I mean, especially with certain types of, like when you're thinking about the body of a cocktail, and, you know, using different types of sugar or even more or less sugar to, like, build a richness. Um, especially, like, even when you think about, like, different wines, especially things like, you know, Rieslings and things like that that have, like, kind of a more oily kind of mouthfeel. Um, yep. I think that's really interesting for a cocktail, especially when, you like you said, you're using bitters pretty aggressively. So that should, like, kind of build a different kind of, like, always think about the foundation. But then that, all that stuff's, like, sitting right at the top of the cocktail. So... Like every time you take a sip, you're getting some of that oil. So I think it's a pretty cool, cool idea. Exactly, exactly. Or even you know, just preparations like the Sazerac stuff. The Sazerac obviously influences a huge number of cocktails, and that's one of the like one of the sort of very specific build preparations that we retain. If you say a Sazerac a cocktail is built Sazerac style, any bartender will have an idea what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Stirred rocks glass, rocks glass treated in one way or another. So um, yeah, it's 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 more. That sort of attention to handling. Uh, that methodology saying here, I think that everything does feel a little bit sweeter in New Orleans. I, I, something about something about the hot weather and the humidity. I mean, I can sure. tell you that I find myself in the weather down here and in the humidity preferring something with a little bit more sugar and body to it. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I like I Jim Kearns and I always talk about this. You know about how we when we're coming up with cocktails, a lot of times you you know you're trying to make it. Uh, have the right flavor profile and the right like acidity and and sweetness levels and richness to you know basically make everyone happy but we end up kind of a lot of times since we had we both kind of shared a sweet tooth um kind of end up a lot of times making them drier and more tart than we would normally make them for ourselves but then we always go back to precisely right yeah but then we always usually just go back to like kind of like putting them back to where we started with that certain level of like body and sweetness I think that's like one thing, especially with with proprietary cocktails. I mean, let me know if you share this opinion, but I feel like you know if it's proprietary proprietary cocktail, obviously it's something new. Maybe it's a riff on something old, but to you know, for for the most part, it's it's something new for the guests to enjoy. So it's almost like you you should cater to like your recipe, right? You know, more than than trying yeah. to be a variation on something else because, you know, I mean, obviously with classics like a margarita, people will be like, you know, I want it like almost like no sugar or like maybe just like a dash of agave sure, sure. and no curacao or anything. But I mean, like those, you you know, they've been around for a while, those kinds of drinks so you can actually, people can take their liberties with them as much as they want. But I think if it's a proprietary cocktail, it's like when someone comes into your bar and orders something that you invented and they say not too sweet, our favorite line of all time to hear you're like wait just try it first try it first you haven't even had it you know um i know it's, uh, it's fantastic down here one of my favorite recent not too sweet moments when asking what they wanted they liked amaretto sours and grand marnier neat <laughs> <laughs> but not too sweet but yeah with, with proprietary cocktails and a house cocktail set like there are you know a couple different kinds of bars and there are a couple different styles of drink presentation and building i mean you can tell something if it's coming from say Milk and Honey's catalog mm-hmm. versus Death and Company at certain time periods versus Cure Down Here 
for the Franklin in Philadelphia. And that house style, where everything within the house, it's sort of a general theme that the bartenders create and the head bartenders create, but is recognizable. It's why you go to one cocktail bar over another, or why you do a cocktail bar differently, because you are going to get a different set of drinks. Sure. Well, we, we share many... I, mean, I think most of us share the same general ideas on the foundations of, uh, you know, cocktail recipe construction. There are slight differences, and some people just prefer one ingredient or a certain methodology. They're going to have a slightly different balance of aromatic, aromatized wines to a base spirits. They believe in a different kind of split of liquors. Yeah, that's what we do. So, on that note, what um, what is the, the Cure Sazerac spec and build? Can you walk us through it? Sure, absolutely. Uh, the Sazerac, as they do it down here, is a uh, basically bar spoon or demerara syrup. Rich demerara, two to one. Fourteen drops of Peychaud, two oh, wow. ounces of Sazerac, six here, which is everywhere down here. All bitters in Cure are done by drops. Actually, these really lovely sort of bitters dropper cured like uh, rays. That's okay. third. In a dilution, and then poured into a chilled glass, spritz with absolute. So very simple. The key difference being mainly that it's Sazerac six years they settled on for the house formulation. Okay, what uh, what absinthe are you using? Are you using herb saint? Maybe the absinthe is Vuponsarlie. Okay, that sounds. Uh, now, I mean, I I do love it, you know herb saint myself. It's it's a little too viscous in the bottle though for uh, atomizer. Right. Right. So, like to me, that sounds like pretty. I mean, like it sounds like a pretty classic. You know, Sazerac. I mean, even with the uh, the Demerara, you know, that's that's mm-hmm. obviously going to add richness, especially since you said you're doing two to one on your simple. Um, I'm kind of surprised sure. that you guys don't do the uh, the muddled sugar cube, but I totally understand why. I mean, like to me, it's like when you do a muddled sugar cube in an old fashioned or a Sazerac, um, whether you build it in the glass or you're building it in the mixing glass, uh, it's harder to to be, to remain consistent with the sugar that's actually going to find its way Absolutely. into the cocktail. Absolutely. And now listen, sure happens to be one of those bars where really consistency is one of the main goals. And you're dealing with bitters by the drop and so forth. Consistency is huge. And I think most of the cocktail bars I've worked at, with some exceptions, are really going for consistent product. There is a lot to be said about, you know, sort of the Japanese Zen idea of, you know, cracked pottery, like drinks being a little bit different naturally. And I love sugar cubes and Sazerac. So you're going to change the recipe and an old-fashioned so it's easy to be a little bit more water and soda water to dissolve the sugar with. But uh, you can go to some very, very respectable old-line restaurants down here. Like, Arnaud's never stopped serving liquor during Prohibition. Mm-hmm. So the bartenders who are there are trained by bartenders who were trained by bartenders who were trained by bartenders who were making cocktails, you know, in the height of, you know, the, the golden days of uh, mixology. Uh, they definitely use sugar cubes there, I believe. And uh, although the rise, as we talked about before, too, the whiskeys have changed. Uh, the standard call down here used to be Old Overhold. Right. Very few restaurants and bars are using Old Overhold anymore just because there has been such a noticeable change in the product. Absolutely. I mean, like the last time you we were actually in the studio on the show, we were drinking some of. Uh, oh, we were speaking about. Yeah, here at bonded, bottled and bond, uh, old Overholt uh, that was eight years old back then, and uh, yeah, so it's funny. From Pennsylvania still. Yeah. Well, I just had it explained to me that it's 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 just a noticeable difference from the catalytic like enzymes that everyone's throwing in, rather than fermenting the old way. But it leaves a thin product, so. 
rise like Sazerac six year, which the cocktail community has had varying opinions on at one point or another. Um, you know, I mean, they're going to slowly come, begin to move in and take over. It'll be interesting to see how Rittenhouse, Bottle and Bond does down the road. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, it's an ever-changing thing. Just like even when we talk about the certain specs that we use for cocktails, it's mm-hmm. – to have consistency is one thing, but – as long as a human bartender is making that drink, it's never going to be perfectly consistent. You know, like some one person's bar spoon is going to be different than the other person's bar spoon. You know, even sure. how heavy they pour into that bar spoon. You know, like if if consistency were really like as big of an issue as we kind of romanticize that it is, then exactly. bartenders might be obsolete. You know, we'd be ripping our hair out precisely. Well, it's like uh, it's like baristas dialing in too. You know, the weather is different. The ambient right. pressure is different. It's sunny. Like, uh, you know, how would drink taste, no matter if you make it the same way, on a day that's 50 degrees versus a day that's 80 degrees, it's going to be completely different. Sure. Um, well, you know what? We're about halfway through the show, so let's take a quick break. And then when we get back, we'll be speaking more with Nick Jarrett down in sunny New Orleans, Louisiana. Back in just a moment. <laughs> back jackson's shaking his head at me i, I i'm kind of i'm happy. loving it man i <laughs> got a happy inside you have me br- bring the guitar out on the show today loving it i also remember that bottled and bond uh overhaul pretty well oh yeah yeah that was yeah. there's uh that was the uh the photo from the show that day was sure actually was. nick and i holding that bottle looking very happy <laughs> it's a sexy bottle it without is. a doubt we'll Se- have to, couple we'll have of to sexy do dudes holding it <laughs> yeah absolutely I, I imagine that'll be happening when we're down in New Orleans this summer too. Um, are without you, a doubt, without a doubt. Are you going to be uh, participating in any of the seminars at Tales of the Cocktail this year? I'm not actively leading any of them, but as always, uh, in one form or another, I'll probably be involved in the back of house cap program. Oh yeah, five years in running now, uh, facilitating that conference, and uh, you know it's it's beginning to kick into gear. Like uh, channels are going. Uh, yourself, you doing something down there this year? I'm doing a couple of events, a gin and tonic event with Greenhook Gin Smith. Um, you know, just a few things here and there. I don't want to. I don't want to get too uh, tied down. You know, no, of course, of course. It's definitely. Uh, yeah, it's definitely like a week of uh, like bartender fun time. So you don't want to be working too much while doing that. This year, it's though, amazing I, how big it's gotten at this point. Yeah, this is the eleventh. This one goes to eleven, right? This one. This one goes to eleven. <laughs> 
so uh, yeah, this year I definitely will have a better tutorial with Jack about the uh, audio equipment. <laughs> Last year I came back with about two good minutes of uh, usable audio. <laughs> but uh, oh, sure- nice! That's right. You were trying to conduct interviews on the fly. Well, we'll make it happen. Yeah, and you know maybe we can get Jack down there. Maybe we can get uh, you know some some yes please yes please. <laughs> <laughs> I you know that would be yeah, that would be the right. ideal setup. I could just like interview people and he can run the audio. That's that's the ideal setup. That's what we wow. do right now. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's definitely starting to begin to take up, and all the planning is beginning to come. But I mean, it's such a massive event that it just it really do take like six months to get the whole thing going. Yeah, and it's funny. But, I mean, uh, like, yeah, they've also been expanding. You know, there's uh, there's one in like Canada Huge. now. There's one in Buenos Aires this year. Buenos I, Aires this year. That's insane. I mean, it's. You know, not to mention, like, you know, the Portland Cocktail Week, and this year there was the Hawaii Cocktail Week, and, you know, San Antonio, like, it's really cool the and way that... Cocktail Classic, the Bourbon yeah. Classic in a week. Yeah, and then, like, Camp Runamuck, all these, like, really cool things that uh, are popping up now, where it used to be, like, you know, when you were shopping for records, you'd have to, like, <laughs> get on some, like, weird, like, punk rock forum to, like, find that rare, like, 7-inch, but now it's like, oh, what, we have one of those in my town. It's great. It's a good time to be alive. You know, that's, that's some of the stuff that I've been discussing down here, and it's one of the reasons why I work in the dive bars as well as the cocktail bars. You know, I mean, when you think about where cocktail-driven bartending has come from the past five, six years, and I'm sitting in the bar looking at the back bar, sure, we pretty much have everything we want. Yeah. I mean, when you think that a few years ago, Swedish Punch wasn't available, All Spice Ram wasn't available, Creme de Violette wasn't available. Your remove selection was minimal. You couldn't get a good kill, like Kumo on the contract. Right. Uh, you know, we, we have all this going on now. We have so much ability to exchange information as bartenders and people in the bar community. Now it's about building the better bartender and building the better customer. Absolutely. So, you know. And it's, also, it's, it's interesting. I think it's interesting. You know, I know quite a few of, uh, well, a bunch of our mutual friends have uh, recently. You know, they're still working in cocktail bars, but they'll take uh, like a shift or two at some place. It's a little bit more rock and roll and dive. And that's actually really, to me, a really good thing because sometimes when I do uh, like a guest bartending spot somewhere and, you know, it's a heavily promoted night. I mean, like Aaron Polsky and I did Cripple Creek in December. Yeah, dude. And I, I'd the kind sounds, of, right? Yeah, it was, it was pretty gnarly. Amazing. And uh, awesome. I'd kind of forgotten what it was like to be like slammed with that kind of uh, environment, you know? So it kind of like uh, gets your speed traps back up by uh, working in those environments. Plus, it's just a lot of fun. Get to wear t-shirts. It does. It's also a good opportunity <laughs> to meet like customers and clientele who maybe don't necessarily go to cocktail bars or a bit younger than the cocktail bar demographic. Yeah, and you know that's like instill like, some instill some good drinking habits and then pull them out to your next bar. At some point, they're going to want a cocktail. Mm-hmm. So it's a good way to keep your foot on both sides of the street. Yeah. And yes, it definitely will keep your speed up. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, and it'll slow you down the next morning, but the uh, like the, <laughs> it's kind of go back to what you said about building a better bartender and building a better customer. Mm-hmm. You know, turning people on to these things that they haven't really been exposed to. You know, I find things you know places like Mission Chinese too. You go there and sure. it's uh it's a rock and roll environment, but there's like fantastic food, and you know they're playing like Thin Lizzy, you know, and you go into the bathroom and it's like Twin Peaks themed, you know, but you're getting Twin this Peaks, rad food. amazing. Yeah, and you know it's it's kind of bringing bringing t- you know those two different crowds together that might not venture to the other side, and that's you know yeah, that's which is, you know I mean 
sort of the doubt. We, we, we've had specialty cocktail bars. I mean, you know me. I'm 100% for bringing what we do across genres. Mm-hmm. Like in this day and age, you know, you don't have to be specialty. Like, we do at the same. Uh, started by Katie Darling when she was bartending there. They do a fine diving Thursday. It's <laughs> a classic cocktail night there. I, I get to minister over Tihiyoki Tuesdays on Tuesday nights. Make some karaoke and dive bar tiki drinks. That's awesome. <laughs> then, you, know, you can go out and get a 1934 zombie punch at the same for much less than you'd be paying for it anywhere else or a full-on scorpion bowl. Yeah. In a dive bar filled with smoke while singing karaoke. And that's a pretty wonderful thing, I think. That's something that, you know, people, the uh, bar filled with smoke thing, some people are really happy about. I remember when the smoking ban went to effect when I was bartending in Oklahoma, and it just started right as I started bartending. And I remember being kind of bummed out going into bars because I do smoke. Um, but then, like, when I was working, I was like, this is kind of awesome <laughs> that, like, we can't smoke in it's here got its up, It's got its ups and its downs. As I was saying, yeah. it's a rock and roll bar. The, the, the laws and the lax laws down here make that partially one thing. Yeah. I mean, dealing in, of course, plastic cups. I bartend in plastic there every Friday, Saturday. That's awesome. Yeah, That's very cool. completely different. Shaking on Cajun Crystal is someone at Circle Box. Only when you take a small plastic go cup and a large go cup and use them as shakers. I love that, man. I've, I've definitely oh, done dude. it before. I like using... a. The to-go coffee cups, like the large and the small, the one for like the cappuccino and the one for the latte, putting those together, shaking sure. like a coffee drink with that, then using the coffee lid with the little spout as my strainer. It's, there we go. There it's, we go. It's the uh, Boston coffee shaker. Um, yeah. You know what? Actually, speaking of Boston, um, we have uh, Sunday coming up True. is uh, St. Patrick's Day, as I'm sure you know and are probably preparing for. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, well, I'll, I'll actually tell you a little bit about St. Patrick's Day traditions in New Orleans, which is kind of funny. Like I said is earlier, it? there is that Italian-Irish like tradition, same as like in Boston or in Philadelphia or in New York. So they love any occasion to party down here, and they do it very well. The parade involves throwing out cabbage and potatoes and carrots from the <laughs> as they go by. The people are supposed to make soup with later on. All the houses will be open. Um, St. Patrick's Day is another one of those This is one of the few days of the year that throughout America, day drinking is more or less tolerated. Yeah. In New Orleans, it's always tolerated. So it'll be very interesting to see how the uh, St. Patrick's Day goes down here. This will be your first one there, right? First one down here. God mm-hmm. knows I always had fun in Brooklyn on St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, I uh, luckily I have to work that night, and uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty stoked about that. You know, keep me, uh, keep me reined in a little bit throughout the day. Not oh, completely, but a little bit. I mean, you know. Well, you know, I mean, like... Gotta, gotta no celebrate a heritage I have nothing to do with. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I you know, I imagine I'll probably uh, call you that day, that afternoon, and make sure we get a, a nice Guinness toast. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we'll, we'll hold off on the uh, Irish whiskey, or maybe we'll do that later on at night. Yeah, yeah well, I'm, I'm shooting for later on at night, actually. Later on. Later right. on. We'll, we'll save that. We'll save that one. Um, yeah, it should be great. Should be great. I'm not working as it is on a Sunday this year. Um, and you're, you'll be working at Prime Meets, right? Yep. I'll be on the same oh. block as PJ Hanley's, which uh, actually... Oh, good Lord. You're right. Yeah, it's going to be pretty pretty wild. They always have the uh, the Guinness oh, bus. It's not your first rodeo. You've done this one once I've, or twice before. I've done it. I've done it. 
I'm not proud of it, <laughs> but <I've done> it. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, I definitely, uh, definitely get some uh, green foamed Guinness in my system. And, and, always, uh, always. Yeah. So, um, actually, one thing I want to talk about too, uh, just because we kind of hit on Mission Chinese and uh, and like we hit on food for a second. One thing I really like about Cure is that. You guys have a, a rad kitchen and really good food there, and that's one thing yeah. that I find doesn't always happen with like cocktail dens. And you know, it's a very spacious place with a huge patio, but you guys have rocking food, and that's I think really important when you're slamming, you know, four or five sazeracs yeah. in the afternoon. Oh, absolutely. A, you should be you know eating something while you're drinking. We all know this. That's what uh, garnishes cool are for, program, right? too, because it's sort of an open kitchen. And the uh, the cook store for Brains would actually do service to the six bar seats right in front of the kitchen. So it's a nice little back and forth, too. The people who work in the kitchen get a really good handle on cocktails and become very familiar with the menu. And uh, we work very closely, very intimately with them. Which, uh, you know, Dram, of course, in Brooklyn also had the same sort of open kitchen mentality. And they just got and a I new love, chef. I love, I, I love working with the cooks and the chefs behind the bar, back and forth. It just makes for a good, you know, repartee. Yeah, there's always something that you can uh, teach each other to uh, really, like, nail a dish or a cocktail. Some sure. ingredient that you've never about, heard of. Someone has a question about the food, you just bring the cook right over to them. Someone has a question about the drink, bring the bartender over. Absolutely. You know, the expert is just playing telephone between the front of house, back of house. Yeah. Awesome. Um, are you going to be coming back to New York anytime before uh, before the summer? I'm not sure. It'll probably be early summer, early summer, maybe late May. But uh, when I'm up there, I'll definitely give you a shout. And you know me, I'm probably going to end up pulling my usual set of guests. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So when you do, let me know, and we'll definitely let our listeners and everyone who tunes into Heritage Radio check it out, so they can come out and see you and have some of your awesome drinks. And also, we oh, got we got to get those uh, those uh, tattoos together. Man. Yeah, <laughs> maybe that'll happen. That's, that's uh, her- has Heritage Radio ever had a tattoo artist work in the studio before? Uh, I don't know, but that's uh, the next show. Book it, <laughs> book it. I mean, you got to you got to break it in, right, dude? That's true. That's true. Nick, man, it's been so good yeah, catching yeah. up with you, and uh, I, I hope it to see you. It is always a pleasure, Josh. You too. Yeah, I hope to see you in New York, if not, uh, you know, if if we can before New Orleans, but uh, definitely be seeing you down there this summer. Book an extra day or two. Book an extra day or two. All right, I'm crashing on your floor. <laughs> Done. All right. All right. I'll talk to you later, David. All right. You guys have a great day. Thanks a lot. You've been listening to Nick Jarrett on the Speakeasy. Good buddy of mine. If you're down in New Orleans, go check him out at Cure and the Saint. For Heritage Radio, this is Damon Bolte. Tune in next week. We'll have Giuseppe Gonzalez. Oh, it's going to be a real crazy nice. show. <laughs> All right. See you next week. For listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. 
You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.